Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And just like that, season 2021 is nearing the end. The grand final is set. South Sydney marching in with Wayne Bennett, Adam Reynolds for another crack at the Premiership after three prelim losses. They finally get over the hump and the Penrith Panthers climb their way back for a second year in a row, going the long way around the mountain. Hard game week one, a war last week against the Parramatta Eels and another absolute bloodbath against the Melbourne Storm the other night to be in another grand final. What a weekend, Boxhead. Yeah, and I think we um, we got our predictions pretty pretty right, apart from obviously we're on we're on the storm to win um, but otherwise yeah we, we sort of thought the first one would be high scoring a little bit looser and the, the second game would be a lot tighter so yeah I feel feel pretty good about this grand final I, um, I just think it's going to be it's, it's going to be exciting Penrith has demonstrated a lot of grit with their defence particularly over the last two you know weeks Tony can see one try in both games is um pretty unreal considering the rules I know a lot of people want to highlight their issues in attack but uh, I think on the big stage they're going to be looking to make up for for what happened last year and I think the Panthers are deserved favourites uh, and you know I don't, I'm South Sydney out without a chance but um, we'll get into our preview later in the week today's some more have a look at you know the games that have gone but um, yeah, I think Panthers are deserved favourites based on their season uh, and then the fact that they've beaten, you know, the minor premiers uh, on the back of a week off. Yeah, well, it was a huge effort, like we said, and uh, not without some drama. Obviously, they had the Cleary tackle, which was enough to tackle. Uh, he was cleared today, and I think James Fisher Harris ended up getting charged for the head slam, but just a fine. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and I think um, didn't he? Uh, Tavita Pangor Jr. got fined. Someone else got fined as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know that, uh, obviously, injury-wise, Penrith have got a few more concerns as compared to South. South obviously had Reynolds play through the other night with that groin or adductor injury and manage his way through the game. He obviously gets the longer turnaround this week and, you know, they'll, they'll find their way to put breast, the best possible rehab, recovery, needle, whatever it's going to take to get him to play in his final game for South Sydney, which is a crash at a premiership. And then on the Penrith side of things, they've got a lot of questions. I think today there were scans on Pungai Jr.'s knee. There was a scan for Fisher Harris's knee. We already know that Edwards sort of had an ankle and foot problem. Moses has been in and out, missed the game with a calf on the weekend. Nathan's shoulder, um, that Brian's ankle there's a lot of guys there for Penrith I'm sure this week it'll be all about rehab, recovery and like I said if needed it's all in for the Premiership there's no thought about next year or self-preservation if they've got a needle blokes to go and try and get this done I have no doubt that's that's the path I'll be taking this week yeah absolutely it's all in this week all the chips go in you're, you're playing for the you know what everyone's chasing 
every November when when teams reconvene and look ahead. That's that's the goal. So these two teams have got the the red hot crack at it. So yeah, exactly right, mate. The needles will be out, and they'll be doing absolutely everything in terms of rehab, prehab, um, recovery. It's all systems go, particularly this early stage of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side. Congratulations to Manly and the Melbourne Storm making it to a prelim. No easy feat, but, uh, yeah, Manly, unfortunately, that record and all the talk that's been out the last couple of weeks reared its ugly head again, and whether Manly fans like it or not, it's true. They were 0-2 against Melbourne, 0-2 against South, 0-2 against Penrith. They played the Roosters, obviously, without Turbo, lost that game, belted them last week, missing half their team. Parramatta... I know some people claim, well, we beat Parramatta twice. They fell out of the top four, I guess. If you want a broader picture, top eight teams, they beat Parramatta twice, Cronulla once, and they lost to Newcastle. So against the top four, the three other teams besides themselves, they were 0-6 against the top eight as a whole of all the teams in this year, uh, including the Titans. I think, what is it, one, two, three, four. They were 6-12, and but all those wins were the teams under them. Yeah. The three that they really oh, needed. Look, what, what, however you want to cut it, like the way Manly started the year, for them to be in a prelim is an overachievement. Oh, it's huge. They, they were unreal. They were entertaining. They um, they completely exceeded my expectations, and I would imagine the expectations of their fans and the wider rugby league community. Simple as that. Like, anyone after a month of footy that said Manly were going to be in a prelim, you would have sent them to a me- mental asylum. So it's, it's an unreal achievement. Um, and they're, they're not far away they, they've got a lot of young players and that's some inexperienced players out there playing their first final series a lot of young guys so they'll be better for the experience um, so I think it's, it's all positive for Manly to come out of it they've got no major injuries I don't think so they'll be able to hit the ground running in 8 weeks and, and they'll be better next year uh, you would think Yep, well, let's jump in and do that, shall we? The goal, as you said, is to review the two games from the weekend, have a look at what happened, and then obviously we'll review the seasons of Manly and the Melbourne Storm later on in the week, possibly a Wednesday this week, just because we have the longer turnaround and we'll give some time for team lists, injury, and a bit to unfold uh, before we come back and do an in-depth preview of the grand final and obviously uh, go top to tail on that game, all the insights, strengths, weaknesses, and look for... Some winners, hopefully for the punters, thanks to bluebet.com.au. Um, but that game that we just spoke about, 36-16, to 16, the South Sea Rabbitohs prevail over the Manly Seagulls. And um, just another one of these games, like we said, they had the task in front of them. They unfortunately couldn't get it done. They had a couple of moments uh, after going down early to strike back and just didn't pan out that way. And South Sydney, again, showed that defensive resolve that we wanted to see throughout the season. They had Taff chip in and, again, be more than capable at fullback. His kick returns, the metres he chewed up, his kicking game, or sorry, his pass selection in particular for Johnston's try. Um, yeah, it was a ripper pass, wasn't it? Absolutely fearless, and his goal kicking. And then you've got to give Cody Walker up. There's been a bit of criticism around him in big games and with Reynolds not able to go in terms of goal kicking and general play kicking. Cody Walker had his hands on absolutely everything and was outstanding. Yeah, and look, from a manly perspective, I... You can talk about their record against those top four teams, but every time they've played them, they've butchered, they've, they've given themselves no chance. I think they made 17 errors in this game and completed it somewhere around 60%. Like, 
I'm not a numbers man, but I, I sure as hell know that if you've got more than 10 negative plays, and that's penalties conceded and errors, usually, you know, you're winning a close game where you're losing. So for them to make 17, like, that's, that's, that's just errors. Like, I don't know how many penalties and set restarts they conceded, so it'd be up somewhere near 20, I would imagine. So that's, yeah, they, they gave themselves absolutely no chance. 22 nil at half time. I thought Souths were, they weren't clinical to start with. I thought their attack was probably a little bit clunky early doors and they got that ugly try to, to start us off, which was a couple of deflections and, you know, Walker scrapped and, and scored. And then from there, they seemed to, to really settle and, um, you know, Manly went without chances there. They had two tries disallowed, one for the obstruction, which I thought was a clear obstruction, and then the, the turbo one was a clear drop. So, yeah, at halftime, I, I didn't think Manly were completely out of the game. Uh, but, you know, I think they came out and scored, and then South, they went bang-bang, and the game was, was pretty much over. So, and you just I just felt like every any time Manly got themselves in a position to be in the game and compete, they come up with an error or a penalty and then they wouldn't defend it they just concede a try that's the difference between I guess being one of those bottom bottom of the eight sides and those elite top four teams um, well probably the top three really aren't we that we're, we're talking about Melbourne South and Penrith just produced fantastic you know defensive efforts even Melbourne yesterday you know it's only conceded two tries with the amount of errors they made as well so it's defence, and, and that's that's the one that Manly have really got to go away and have a look at. They you know conceded forty against Melbourne, thirty six against South. So, um, but no, they they weren't without their chances. They really just, just didn't give themselves any hope of winning the game. Yeah, I thought Taft was was impressive, and I thought their key position players in general were good. We knew um, MG sort of flicked the text through to our punters club. Um, or was it about 20 minutes before kickoff saying, Jesus, like Adam Reynolds is undergoing a fitness test? So we thought, oh, crap, you know. Um, I know a few of the boys backed, backed Manly as a result, but um, no, I thought Walker stepped up tough. He just did his job, and it was a good game for Cook. He, he did plenty of running, so plenty of luck around South um, heading into the grand final, that's for sure. Yeah, I think. Just crunch moments, like you said, first half. The the clean-up of the kick, Saab drops it, Turbo drops it, Gagai knocks it back. And we talked about Cody Walker in the preview. I said that if I was going to have money just on someone individually to score, it would be him because I thought he'd have a chance to run. But you also highlighted the fact that he's almost like a fullback. He's just always around the ball regardless. And he got that try from clean-up work. His second one that came at the back end of the half when Cook cleans up the kick from the excellent chase by Murray and infield. Kicks not knowing who's there, and of all people to pop up, surprise, surprise, Cody Walker trails through and he scores again. Um, yeah, just from that push, and that's, that's what I highlighted in the previous that, you know, once he passes, he just pushes up that tram, always, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's in unreal form, Cody. Like, probably extremely unlucky not to play Origin this year, and I think you'll certainly be at the forefront if you can continue this up until Origin next year, that's for sure. Yeah, and the defence you speak about, particularly for Manly's edge defence, and we've talked about that, and I guess that'll yeah. come with time again because they do have some young guys on their edges. Like, realistically, when you look at it, Garrick, it's probably, what, second full season? You've got Harper, who literally just got a full season under his bag and didn't start there until maybe round three or four. 
Olakwatu didn't come in until about the same time. I think Schuster didn't start week one or two until Davey did his ACL. So all their edges, bar their halves, were majority made up and Saab as well, first season players. So you've got key position guys defending with halves. Like in terms of that side of things, it's very fixable. It's very, very fixable. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think the best teacher is the experience, man, like against good size and big moments. And I guess. Go away and do 100 reps on the training paddock, but when you're under fatigue and you're under pressure and, you know, there's crowd noise and all that stuff comes into um, and has an impact on on your edge defence and your communication and your movements. and Yeah, they've got a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of fixable, very fixable areas for Manly. Yeah, I think the only flip side of that is somebody like a DCE, 10-plus years in your career, needs to be better at holding an edge together and helping out some of those... Yeah, I thought he was poor, um, and then we're going to have a look at the other other match. But, yeah, there were some key position players in both games I thought that were poor. Yeah, um, I think... The other sort of thing for their middle, like their middle is pretty good, but could you imagine, like I know they let Fanua Blake go due to salary cap stress. They've obviously got the situation now with Martin Tapau, who's looking for a new deal. They're not going to offer him a new deal. He's on a back-ended contract, similar situation, but kind of sitting there going, well, their middle at the moment with Paseca, Tapau, like he's pretty good. Kepi does a job. Aloea come over, done a portion of the job for the portion of the price, but... You know, with Jake and that along there, they're probably short a middle or two, really. If you want to talk about top-notch middles, like Sipley provide a little bit of an impact when he played. Yeah, they, they tried a few other guys there at times, but realistically, like if you were to tell me tomorrow that the salary cap's going to cost a Martin Tapiao and they're not going to replace him or, you know, they might push somebody else in, I might be a tiny bit worried, in all honesty. And that comes back to salary cap management. So when you make decisions to give... Contracts to say a DC like they did, who owns a percentage of the cap, is on about 1.2. You got Tom on 1.1. Jake's on about 900. And, you know, I'm sorry to say, but I know a lot of people love him, but under the rules and the way the game's gone, he's just not worth that money. He's not worth that They've money. They've got no three guys taking up, you know, 30 plus percent of your salary cap. So this leaves you on that spot where we may be sitting here now saying, well, it's great that they've got. Olakuatu and Schuster and you know they found some guys like those two and Harper did a good job and he'll get better and Garrick etc and Saab and you know but like even Suli you see the damage that he does he might need to clean up his defence a little bit but they're talking about having to let him go because of also salary crap pressure well Well, I think so they're talking dragons no he's not It's, it's, it's a done deal it's confirmed okay well there you go and again part of that is salary cap management um and also just you know, decisions around your team. So I'm with you. I think they are in a good position, but they're in a real weird spot for me. Like Foran's probably got one more year to go. He took an option um, next year if it's pretty much the same side. Like pre kickoff, if they lose Tapia, you know they've got a hole to fill there. They need another middle. They need Parker to stay healthy in terms of what depth they've sort of got. Who's coming back? They haven't really signed anyone off the top of my head yet. They've lost Siren and they've got a few guys off contract majority who they probably won't keep. Um, so there's some holes to fill. And the only player really who missed the year or missed significant time is Andrew Davey, who they signed for Parramatta. He did his ACL, I think, week one. So they've well and truly replaced him. He's a 31-year-old or 30-year-old back row. They've now got two gun back rowers who are both 20, 21 years old. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this one, unfortunately, for Manly fans was basically... 
I don't want to say it was done in the first half, but 22-0, those two opportunities that we spoke of, Tom drops the ball, you've got to give a rap to South. They may have got open up on the edges twice, but the obstruction, like you said, I thought was fair call. Uh, it's black and white as it can be. It was the same as we spoke about last week with the Moses one. It was almost identical that the ball runner, you know, sort of ran the right line, but as that player sort of comes out to defend his outside shoulder and help his, uh, his outside man, the lead runner can't be there. He can't be in the line. So he should have followed sort of up the field and changed his line to run it over his line. Um, to touch um, I can't think of who the right centre is on the arse I think it was um, Campbell Graham mm. like he should have he should have just bra- grazed his arse um, rather than sort of just running straight into Reynolds and it was it was a really lazy line you know like he just sort of tailed off you've either got to pull up or well, you've got to get through the line and, and if you, you look like you're going to make contact you've got to get out of the way and I know the argument for some people is, oh, Reynolds wouldn't have got him. It's like, well, that's not the point. No, not, but he, he, wasn't, he was denied the chance. Yeah, it's not the point. The, the rule is the rule. Everyone knows it's what it is. It's not an argument. It's, it's just like, well, we're happy for lead runners just to run shit lines. Yeah, so if you're going to run the outside shoulder, you know the risk. Yeah. If you run the outside shoulder, you know the risk. And that that's the department there. And the one from Tom getting out to that right edge and crashing over, like, man, you don't see him blow those sorts of opportunities. Really good effort by Gagai, Walker, and a couple of the guys that got there to try and get hands in on the tackle. But that yeah, one that, that, that one needs to be banked. And when he dropped that, it you know, two moments he put his stamp on the game. But other than that, he had no involvement. Um, he was very flat. He looked dejected for the most part. He didn't try to put himself in that yardage. He didn't try to be a real difference on the game. Like, it was only sort of in those positive moments or in good ball moments. And without being too harsh of Tom as well, I know he's had an absolutely outstanding season but these key games we speak about again and people want to compare him to Tedesco or Slater or the Hain and Barber seasons etc like different sets of rules different points in time but consistently week to week big games and these sort of games at club football in particular I still don't think you can compare him to any of those guys because a game like that again the other night um, off the back foot when they really needed him to make something out of nothing or just the little moments like a Tedesco the week before the Barber Slater um, and Haynes seasons, they all carried their teams in the grand finals. But Slater also did it for a decade. Like, just if you want to talk yeah, about standard yeah, of play. I think it's more the barber. You put him on the barber Hain level because we expect him to win the Daily M. Mm. Yeah, which they, both those boys did. You know, like, you, yeah, you, you're sort of going, well, they both got their teams to grand finals mm. and, and, and were very competitive in grand finals. Yeah, and my other part of the argument was like this year, everyone's saying, you know, best fullback he's heading out like it's the same point I made before the start of the season it's good that he was healthy but we need this for a consistent long period of time um, he was absolutely outstanding but yeah again against better opposition yeah look I think he deserves to win the daily end I think he's 100%. the best, most outstanding player absolutely. he was but yeah there, there were some moments there you need him to be better definitely and I, but, I, I'm all yeah, the team the team needs to be better for him oh 100% I'm not knocking in the end it's, it's a double edged sword but you know there's such a heavy reliance on him because, you know, you've got so much youth or, you, you know, you don't have players that are on his level. There's not a... There's there's no other real genuine superstar in that team, consistent superstar in that team, outside DCE, you know, and he, he didn't have a great game. Jake Zborovic, uh, he's not a superstar. So, realistically, like, it, there's so much pressure that gets lumped on his shoulders and, yeah, they're, they're going to have to... 
look at ways to take pressure off him um, and also just to put him in situations where, you know, you know he can be dominant. Yeah, the point more being, though, you watched Tedesco the week before. He still had 25 touches. It's more when you're down in the dumps and I know things aren't going your way, you can't always just wait for good ball or, or the good times yeah, or the best opportunities. Yeah, also final experience. How many finals games has he played? Oh, I don't know. I think he played under Barrett and they lost. Yeah, I think might, that might have been his third or his fourth finals game. So, it's, you know, yeah. Teddy's, Teddy's a pro, you know, origin. And it's not trying to be critical or not wrap him. He's outstanding. And, yes, he could be that good, but I just don't like when people go off over the bloodbaths. No, I get it. I think it's fair criticism. And it's one season. Like, you want to talk about, oh, he's already better than Teddy's better than this, he's better than Billy. Like, fuck, mate, it's, it's a 10-year resume or a five-year resume or a run of games. And then in these important games come, and I'm like, this is the reason why you can't just take this small sample or body of work or the try-scoring feats this season and the assists. No, it's, it's a dumb argument. Anyway, look, even the comparisons to Hayne and Barber. And it's different rules as well. Just judge him on what he's done. Like he's, he's been the best fullback in the game this year. Yeah. Uh, Teddy, you know, Teddy was just as outstanding, in my opinion. Um, but the, the, the impact that Turbo's had on that team, he's dragged them almost single-handedly into the top four. So for this year, he's been the best fullback in the game best player in the game um, and you know the challenge is going to be to get on get into those discussions you need it year after year after year after year that's all yeah or you're going to be known as like that Hayne player where you know Hayne delivered what two seasons like that um, and Barber sort of did it only once maybe twice if you count that Cronulla year he was was okay at Cronulla otherwise you sort of become that flash in the pan type player and yeah, I think if Tom could stay fit and on the field and keep developing, he's you know he's going to be in that that Tedesco Slater class of player definitely. But he's not there now just because he hasn't produced that resume over a long period of time. No, and that's more the argument I'm trying to get at. So yeah. probably people sitting out there going, "What the fuck are you talking about? You hate?" I don't. I think he could easily be the best of the lot, but I don't like the talk after you know fifteen, sixteen games, and it was all the teams that aren't playing for the title that sort of resume is earned over time or that sort of credibility and talk like for people to be throwing him around with Slater and Teddy the last few years and the back-to-back yeah, premierships. Let's, let's move on. We're going around in circles. Just, yeah, I think it's insanity. But um, second half, they went in obviously 24-0. They struck early, got a nice try down the left-hand side to Garrick, but that was pretty much the end of it. Campbell Graham, after being held up in the first half, found his way in. Just a couple of simple sets of hands, get to the edge, and Benji puts him over. Uh, wasn't a whole lot in it and you know they got Suli twice sort of infield like we talked about again those edge combinations those younger guys very very aggressive um, and I think the one after that from memory was at the moonwalk try I think Paula gets that ball yeah. and backs his way in and from there on it was most definitely done and unfortunately for me only the other side that shows with that immaturity we speak about is Aloye comes up with that horrible tackle. A lot of the guys are running in frustrated, a bit like they did at the back end of the Melbourne game, you know, trying to get involved in the drama, which is another thing, I guess, that will hopefully change over time and a bit more maturity from some of those guys. But um, the party well and truly had started by then. He goes to the bin, and uh, some people sent through questions asking, is there much concern at the back end of the game there how easily they score down the left with 12 players? I think Southhead was already... Removed. I, I will say, if on, I'm coaching. I'm up Campbell Graham's ass. Oh, 100. And I, I will. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not 
reading too much into it because you didn't really see any of those defensive issues while the game was in the balance. No, I will say, though, that Sully at times definitely did have a positive impact when he got the ball running at that edge. So there is something for Penrith there, and we know their left side's strong, but uh, when he did go there, particularly trying to pick on Reynolds, which no surprise he was hindered, uh, he had great success. He broke tackles. He was very strong, but... Yeah, that, the ones at the back end, you can't really take a whole lot out of it. It was it was garbage time. It was game done. And pretty much like you said, they, they definitely didn't help themselves. They had 43% possession completed, 65%. Um, yeah, it would just another one of these cases again where they came up against a, a big dog and we, like we said, they need to cycle. They need to get involved in that game. They need to be disciplined and, uh, you know, take their opportunities when they came. They blew two of them, and unfortunately they didn't have their best night defensively on the edges, discipline-wise or error-wise, and their season is uh, now over. And Unfortunately, can't, I can't really highlight too many guys I thought had a really good game. Like I said, Suley got picked out once or twice defensively, but with the ball, I oh, thought... defensively, he was horrible. Yeah, with the ball, he was a positive, but defensively, ordinary. Tom, like we said, limited impact. Those two plays he did make got both taken away. Olakowatu racked up some metres and was busy, but, um, you know, wasn't one of his better games. Like most guys were pretty much non-factors. It was a really poor night all around, and I think the LIA moment, he had a few brain snaps during the year. That's something he needs to definitely address in the off-season um, because, you know, you've replaced him. Essentially, when you let AFB go, and I'm talking about Tapio again, if you let those guys go, and this is something you need to rely on, those sort of moments or the lash-out kick in the Bulldogs game, that, that shit can't happen. Yeah, and that's, again, just learning to win and what wins and how you do it. Yeah, you just learn to understand that you can't have that type of behaviour because it's not conducive to winning games. And for South Sydney, like we said, Taff, uh, outstanding. Goal kicking, pass selection, had a hand in both, a couple of the tries there. His kick return's more impressive. Like, he's slight in size, but takes the metres that are on offer. Like, Cody Walker stepping up, the way he kicked and controlled things pushing up on those plays. Cook, we've said it all year, he needs to step up. It was one of his better games. The kick back inside, how positive it was, getting over the advantage line. Their back rowers, their forward pack, in particular Murray. Murray was absolutely immense. Um, just the clean-up work, the quick play, the balls, the carries. He, there was a lot of positives for them. And I guess if you're south, it's, it's been a dream. We, we've, most people, well, not yourself, you obviously picked him to win the premiership, but... I looked at them and thought, do they have an 80-minute performance in them? Are they going to be able to get their way through this final series? And it's all... Yeah, look, and I was the one saying all year, like, I'm not... I'm not worried about South. I'm not worried about them getting beat by 50. I'm not worried about, you know, the form and all the chat. Because, as I said, it starts again come final time. It's only going to take... They've only got to beat those teams once. Apart from, you know, obviously now Penrith, they've got to beat them twice to win the comp. But... You've only sort of got to roll a month to get in the grand final. So, you know, you just you see it often enough with Bennett. Like, that's that's the influence that an experienced coach can have on that team. And it's also important, I think, to give credit to Jason Demetrio and I think Benny Hornby's one of the assistants as well, that, you know, behind the scenes there. And Benny Hornby, from all reports, is a great assistant coach. But, you know, Jason Demetrio has been a head coach in waiting for well what probably at least four or five years so they've got a great staff there the Rabbitohs yeah and um, 
outstanding. Like we said, in a dream run at the end, they get in, they have the war against Penrith, they defend their way, they flip their mindset to be better on that side that we question all year and, you know, take their opportunities as they've come, and they've certainly done that. Um, and their forward pack has stepped up. A lot of guys there that were hot and cold and contributing here or there have all stepped forward. Arrow stepped forward. Murray's obviously been the heartbeat, but you guys like Nichols, the consistency. Burgess, I think Sewer after being in and out, coming back in has been good. Kalal Matungi's been excellent. Uh, they've just all really come together and done a job, and it's worked out better than we could have expected. You roll Penrith, you get over Manly early. I know Reynolds has got that slight niggle, but... If you would have told me that South were going to go bang, bang through to the green final the way they have uh, without a whole lot of fuss, I wouldn't have believed you. And then Wayne Bennett, I think, outstanding, throwing uh, a little bit off the scent straight away in his press conference, saying he doesn't want to talk about anything or this, that and the other. And Pete Bedell jabs about Brisbane, throws a line out there about the Brisbane situation, which I think, you know, straight off the scent of green final week or any questions somewhat around them and hopefully for a day or two. And I'm sure during the week, there might be one or two other things he might bring up to try and keep things a bit low-key or the attention off uh, South Sydney. And I've got yeah, no... Yeah, I mean, if you're smart enough to fall... If you're dumb enough to fall for that, like, it's the oldest trick in the book. He's done it for years and years and years. So mm. I think, you know, it's, it's it's good because it's the game's going to be in Brisbane and all that history with Brisbane. But, yeah, oh, it's water under the bridge now, sure. Like, keep fucking bringing it up and going over it. And, but, yeah, it's, again, just... Uh, is it, is it sort of like a job interview, like, in that he's trying to, yeah, I, I don't know, prove, prove something to Brisbane? I, I, I don't know. Or to say to future employers or teams that, you know, he's, he's ready to coach or he's ready to go again. Like, in the end, the, what's going to get made better than another job is the fact that he's got South into the track final. So he can talk as much shit and the media can spin up as much as they want. In the end, he's a he's a fantastic coach, and you know I'd imagine for as long as he, he ever wants a job, there there'll be an NRL job there for him, just based on his CV and his standing in the game and what he's done. So, yeah, I, I was surprised. I was very surprised that Bennett answered it, and I was very surprised that Bennett, you know, sort of in, in my my opinion, brought up old wounds like in Grand Final week. I, no, I think the performance of his team should have been celebrated. That, that should have been the focus, not on Brisbane. I, I would have liked to have just seen him deadpan that question and, you know, just sort of say, well, I'm, I'm not coaching Brisbane anymore. I'm coaching South and my focus is on South and we're in a grand final and that's my focus. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't like it. No, I like that. Like, I think he's outstanding and he's done a great job. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know whether it was taking attention away from South. I'm not sure that's that's what it was. I think it's, there still is a bit of personal burn there for Bennett. Oh, I think there is, but I think it was a bit of a double-edged sword. I thought straight away he's throwing away a line there that all of them have taken hook, line and sinker, in particular the Brisbane media, where it all is going on this week, like you spoke about, and they might probe a little bit more around that or whatever and keep it away from Reynolds and their situation for a few days. I don't know, but I just when it came out, I laughed straight away, just thinking, oh, he's... He's already making moves. And then the Ivan Cleary press conference I found hilarious again because he learnt the hard way a couple of weeks ago. Straight away said, he's, I think he's the greatest coach of all time and I'm going to do what I usually do, just stay in the background. I think he knows it's just not to engage. Yeah, yeah. it's overstated, man, all this fucking talk. Like the players, you know, 
in the end, coaches coach, players play, and players decide big games. So, you know, played each other, you know, a month, it'll be a month ago on Saturday or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's, they'll tear into each other and they're playing for a comp. Mm. Well, Wayne Bennett and Ivan Cleary do. That'll all go out the window come, you know, when that ball's kicked on next Sunday night. So. Well, this is the third time in, what, six or seven weeks? They played at the back end of the season, week one of the finals. Yeah, something and like that. Yeah. Now grand finals, so they've certainly had a good look at each other, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah every game's going to be a little bit different. Uh, and we've seen the ledger flip. There was a 15-0 shellacking early in the year. It was a 10-point lead and then turned around to lose by 10 or so, and then they rolled them by a try. Yeah, and, like, and, and back then, the whole narrative was, oh, well, fuck, they conceded 50. They can't, they can't win the comp now. It's like, okay. Yeah, well, under the current. Uh, There's going to be an agenda every week. You're going to be a story every week. Like, eventually, someone's going to break that hoodoo. Oh, I don't think it'll be South on the weekend, but you know, to, to say that they, you can't be competitive, you can't play in a grand final, you can't compete for a comp because you get beat by 50. Like, well, yeah, anyway. Certainly, under the new rules, it's not hard to get beat by 50 if you have a bad day. No, that's right. That's right. Mind you, I also want to bring yeah, up. they got shot by 50 by Melbourne, and Melbourne are out. Don't, don't want to be too hypocritical of the rules, but I certainly think the rules are not being applied the same way during the final series. We're saying... No, no, they're not. Well, they're this not. is the style of game I'd prefer to see, so I'm not complaining. But definitely... No, I, I agree, mate. I agree. We're definitely not using the rules the same as what we did in season, that's for sure. No. Uh, but moving off that one, great win for South, and Manly will review their season uh, after we go through the second game. But this one was a pearler, despite being ugly at times, but Penrith Panthers 10-6 over the Melbourne Storm. What a game. Uh, sit there, you're looking at it again. All the talk around Penrith, all the injuries. They've had three wars. The South game was absorbing 80 minutes. Crawled in to week two. Tough game again. Up against Parramatta. Lots of controversy at the back end. Everyone going on about a couple of decisions in that game. And they had injury clouds. And they roll into this one. Again, not knowing about Toto. Cleary's shoulder. Edwards's foot. Leota pulls out. Melbourne first time all year. Full 17, week off, belted Manly by 40. And just from the jump, there was a vibe about it. George Jennings looks at Pappenhausen on that first bomb, miscommunication. Like, it was George's every day of the week. It wasn't even close to Pappenhausen. And straight away, Penrith exposed something that I don't think enough teams do, which is Olam and Addo Carr in particular defend very, very tight because they back themselves to get back outside with their speed and cover and Nathan just picks it up from dummy half. AFL flat kicks it, and Stephen Crichton scores in the corner. That was a very, very early statement. A good shot in the arm, and I think a real confidence booster for the Panthers. Yeah, huge, huge. Eh? They needed to start. Well, we said that in the preview. That's as much to sort of put the skids on Melbourne a little bit as it is to build your own confidence. Uh, and yeah, they they got jumped in the grand final last year, and. You know, they would have watched Melbourne jump Manly in week one. So, yeah, there, there would have been a, a, a huge focus on uh, that for Penrith. And it was just a, it was a nice play. Like, huge kahunas to do that. But, you know, you, that's why you practice your kicking. That's why you're out on the field for an extra hour you know, on most training sessions. And, you know, Nathan's, you know, works extremely hard on that element of his game. And, it was nice to see him get rewarded and, and take that risk. Like that's that's finals footy. That's big game footy. You know, there's, you know there's weaknesses there, but 
when push comes to shove, can you execute when those opportunities present themselves? And um, on that occasion, yeah, Penrith were Penrith were good enough to do so. But I think it was really Melbourne's Melbourne's edges were the ones that really you know let them down yesterday. They were so many drop balls from from their key position players and their outside backs. It was. It must have been frustrating for those middle boys, particularly when you know you had those injuries and the concussion and that rotation got chopped into, which we'd sort of lauded as such an advantage. It sort of got taken away in what, the first 15, 20 minutes. You, had, you lost Welsh and Smith, so that, that advantage was taken away. And then to make, what did Melbourne make? 16 errors, I think one less than Manly, and completed at 60-odd percent. Like, it's... It's just not Melbourne football. They, similar to the narrative that we spoke about with Manly, that Melbourne gave themselves essentially no chance to win that game. But they had no right to be within four points, in my opinion. No, I was. I had someone messaged me yesterday saying similar deal. Like, are you? How do you feel about it? I, go, oh, I can't believe we only lost by four and we still had chances. Yeah, uh, honestly, if that's, if that's the Gold Coast Titans, we get beat by fifty. If you would have told me, if you would have told me that George will drop the first set, they'll score. Welch had a head knock, two head knocks. Then he's off in the eighth minute. Cheese is going to, you know, jump in and bust his arm. I don't think it was a HIA, but obviously, like everybody, uh, the old HIA comes out. He doesn't come back on. If you would have told me by the fifteenth minute, you're down to one middle rotation. You've conceded, and like you said, just dropping balls the way we were, and like I, I, I my stomach sank honestly when Brandon Smith went off right there. Um, I just thought, wow, it's it's, it's just doesn't have a it doesn't have a good vibe around it at all. And you got blokes just like you said, uncharacteristic. Like George has punched above his weight all year. He made critical errors three times in this game. Um, the one. Again, with the drop, Olam, who's been so safe, like he has a blunder every now and then. Second half, he drops that ball, first set off a shift, and they go and score in the corner. Defensively, a few times, they, they made an effort to go get him early, and he, he cleaned it up later. George drops the ball with a line wide open when Jerome comes up with a nice pass there, and they caught Burton in field, and Remus comes up with a beautiful tap on, like just sliding door moments, the 2040. They kick the 20-40 and first carry, get a six again, shift off at play one, error. Um, Hughes kicks out on the full. Nelson, I think he's in, and Dale Finucane, that they fucking hate that lead line when you're on the try line. Because like, if you're not getting the ball on that crash line, it's just disaster. And sure enough, he goes full speed, realises he's fucked, baseball slides in, and I, I, I'm not going to say he would have scored, but I'm... Pretty fucking confident that Nelson would have got the job done on that wide ball one-on-one with uh, Kurt Catewell, who I think that's who it was. He was already basically passed. Yeah. But, yeah, it just, it just wasn't happening for him. And I think what frustrated me more than anything, besides all those moments, and like you said, outside backs particularly, Olam had two or three, Remus had three or four, George had three. Um, you know, like, Ado Karts, your last game for Melbourne, he was constantly looking to push the ball or just drifting side to side. He hospital passed Pappenhausen a few times in yardage. Like, just stuff like that was frustrating. And Cameron Munster, like Cameron Munster during the week, comes out and says, we deserve to be here and we deserve to be in the grand final win the best team all year. Like, just shut the fuck up. Like, I, I, I understand, and again, without being too critical, 
Um, you know, he's, he's had some big games this, that, and the other, but I've been as critical as anyone, and I'm a Melbourne fan, to me, that he's the least important part of our spine, in my opinion. I think Brandon, Harry, Hughes, and then if you want to compare, like we have had two fullbacks and, and Munster, I think he's been the least important part of our spine. And on the weekend when we really needed him, when the game was in the balance and we were getting pinned in yardage and Pappenhausen couldn't have an impact and you've lost cheese and Harry was tired, um, you know, he looked really gassed and couldn't really get going at the back end because it's just been such a grind. There was moments for him where he needed to run or needed to come up with a play and, um, you know, in all honesty, I just don't think he imposed himself at all on the game. He he had a chance, I thought. Yeah, he, he kicked the ball down a couple of times. He made some errors. I thought he, try, he tried to run, but they, they just looked confused. Their attack looked really just disjointed yesterday. I thought they played one pop footy as well. They they sort of set up for a shift. They'd run it, and then they'd go, okay, that didn't work. What's Where are we going now? And they'd sort of just lob back to the posts and not generate a lot, which was so uncharacteristic. And I think Bellamy said it in his press conference, like, it's our worst attacking game this year by a long, long way. Oh, uh, horrible. Uh, I, I just, they looked, yeah, they, they looked without a plan. You, you, you know, that's not right. No, I thought the two guys that deserve huge raps are Jerome Hughes and Nelson. Jerome Hughes was dangerous every he time. Unreal. He got the football. He every time kick out on Luai, and we talked about that space looked like they were drifting or holding. He just kept selling them with his footwork or ducking back under. He, he got through a few times and had no support. He cleaned up that ball where he got run down an outstanding effort by I think it was Sorensen, Fisher Harris. Like they're all chasing through. He had some great kicks. I know he kicked the one out in the full, which was bad, but you know, like he he was huge yesterday for Melbourne. And then the other one was Nelson. You call upon someone and. I've been critical of him at times too that he doesn't impose himself on games. But when you lose Welch and Cheese and you need someone to come in and make an impact, I thought Tui did his job, but Nelson was just ridiculous. Like, blokes were skittling everywhere. Every time he ran, he could offload. He couldn't have done any more. The, the try would have really been icing on the cake if he ended up getting it. But between those two, um, I think, you know, Kenny worked hard. Felice worked hard, but they didn't have a great impact on the attack side. But also, again, it's hard to have an impact on the game when you, you don't hold the ball. And I think we talked we, we talked about Manly. Melbourne are a team that are better when they cycle and go set for set and build their way into a game, and they just never fucking did that at all. Yeah. They never, ever built that. They had one probably really good period at Penrith at the back end of the first half there. And Munster actually did have one or two good plays where he got a couple of repeats and Kenny got a repeat, and they got three or four sets, and Penrith just kept holding. Um, but again, they relieved it with errors. Um, they let it go, I think, on one of those shift plays, and you're just sitting there going, wow, with, with all that and the George drop, like with all the pressure, they, the slight periods of pressure they did build, which is Melbourne football, they got nothing for it. And full credit to Penrith um, to come in, like we said, with that many guys under a cloud and early doors for them as well. Like Pungai Jr. played low minutes. They only used Lanu for 11, so he really rolled the dice in limiting what he used as far as his bench. He asked massive jobs of Sorensen, Catewell, Yo, Liam Martin, and they all just turned up for him. There was some corker moments, like the save when Tui was almost in, Olam being held up, 
I think it was Catewell and Critter. Hughes, they got him. Yeah, I think they saved like at least four or five tries. Oh, mate. Fish and Sorensen, like we said, on that chase. Down. Like, there, was, there was so many moments where they just busted themselves to get there. And full credit to them with their game plan as well. I thought play one and two, they were outstanding in defence. They got down there. They wheelbarrowed Pappenhausen. They bashed Fox. They really got stuck into George. Um, they kick chase. They scramble. Their effort just to absorb those patches when they were down, and like Dylan Edwards, like we said before, he, he's not your superstar in the, the mould of what we talked about a turbo and the way he imposes himself on the game. But my God, you could not be any busier just through the ruck, through the middle, pushing up on the ball, clean up work. Yo was immense again, I thought, in the middle. Um, that link plays, it was good to see Luai more direct. I thought early doors, it was good to see him pushing on the ball and running. Um, Burton in yardage the way they were swinging the ball to move the point of attack on Melbourne they were really good at getting him in field linking up with the dummy half and going bang bang two long passes and just trying to pull Melbourne apart which was a really good part of their game and uh, like we said just, just the dirt work from a few of those guys Sorensen, Martin and Cape uh, Curtin ah, man Toto bad ankle 27 runs like Edwards 25-200 Lainu in that 11 minutes. I know it was only 11 minutes, but, man, he was, he was deadly. Yeah, he was good. I, I, I can't... I thought that game... Brandy said it before the game on Fox that, you know, it was Penrith's most important game outside their grand final. I thought it was the Penrith's most important game in this era since the rebuild. I thought it was, you know, really defining. Like, if, if Melbourne had have sunk them last year and then sunk them again this year, there would have been a bit of a stench about well, Melbourne's got your number and, you know, you're perennially going to be number two. And I still think they've got to write their name on this trophy on on Sunday night. Oh, they have to bang you know, it. To have make to. sure that, that they're going to get, um, you know, they're going to be recognised as, as the premier club in the competition because they can, they can be viewed as that and they can talk about being the best side in the competition. They've, they've got to go out and earn it and get their name on that trophy and then... You know, I think they've set up a system which is sustainable that can deliver long-term success for the club and they can then talk about being in that mould of a Melbourne or Roosters and, you know, don't underestimate the confidence that it's going to give players, you know, that, that they're premiership players. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be said for not only what happened yesterday from a Penrith perspective and the character and the way they endured that game, despite, you know, injuries and adversity, but they've got to go out and do it again. Like, it'll, it'll be all for nothing if they come up short again um, in the grand final like they did last year. So, yeah, it's, it was just an unreal and fantastic win. And, you know, it probably feels like a grand final win, but, um, you know, now you're going to come up against a side that's, that's rolled you and you're going to be feeling pretty confident. So, yeah, it's a big week for, for the Panthers club. Um, you know, if last week was a big week, this one's gone up another notch. So, And I think South, similar to what we said the week before, that Melbourne would have been thinking, I know you can't compare, but South would have loved watching that game. Yeah, like, it's like you said before about the whole um, Bennett and Reynolds thing. It's like, well, did Bennett and Reynolds need the media to talk about them to feel pressure this week? Like, 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the end, they're both moving on. So the, 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 you don't need the media to talk about them for them to feel pressure. Like it's a huge week for how, not so much Reynolds, because Reynolds is already a premiership player and he'll go down as one of the, you know, the best all time for the Bunnies, but... You know, Wayne Bennett's period at the club will be looked along, looked at in a very different manner if they can they can win a comp in his last game there. Oh yeah. So that pressure's there. You know, whether he can deflect that or people think he's deflected away from that, it's there. Yeah, I totally so agree. A huge, a huge week, huge week for both clubs. And like we said before, the rehab, rest, and recovery is going to be massive this week for them because. I found it interesting the minutes that Fisher-Harris played. He only played 37, and now he's had the knee scan, but he was very impactful with a few offloads and carries and uh, moments he had in the game. And we know, like we said, Edwards has been managing himself loud and missed the game. Uh, Pungai Jr., apparently out of everyone, is probably the, the most unlikely. He got strapped at the end there and only played 80 minutes. He went off. May played in this one, busted. Sorensen to come back with that wrist. Toto, like... Surely, for them, the most of this week is just enjoy it and make sure that everyone is 100% to go. I know that they would be confident enough, regardless of last result, that they've got the team to beat South. But the biggest issue is just making sure you're not going into this game, I guess, with two or three guys that you're sitting there going, if he goes down, like he's done, and we can't replace him. And they, they can't do that. If they need to make a hard call, I'm sure they will. And with that in mind, if, if Leota comes back in, Someone like Spencer is going to miss out after... I know he only got a short stint, but he, he was super well, impactful. He, he won't if, if Pangai Jr. is out. Exactly. But I'm just more saying, like, there's there's going to be a couple of guys here that have contributed during the year that, that if they get back full strength 1-17, to 17, they're going to miss out. So, um, yeah. But also with that in mind, that they can't go in with risk. If anyone is re- realistically done or can't play or is well underdone. Well, they won't play. The, the strength is their, their squad. Both mm. teams, they've, you know, they've got good players that they can slot in. and Yeah. Yeah, and I think you touched on it again. For Penrith as well, and we said this last year, the window probably got shorter. I'm not saying they can't win again next year, but the window tightened up because of the success they had early, the amount of contract work they've had to do. But you're looking at this team right now, Next year, there's going to be no Matt Burton. There's going to be no Kurt Catewell. Uh, you know, they've got a few more guys they're making decisions around. Pangai will move on. They'll have a couple of guys to roll in, sure. But like you said, the strength is not only in the 17, but in the depth of the squad. And next year, that's another part of that that sort of gets hurt by this situation. So this is why we talked about them going all in like they did and using that money on a Pungai Jr. or making the decisions they've made here with Crichton going to the wing to help out for yardage when I spoke about Staines earlier in the year or Nathan playing through, etc. Like They know, I think they know, that next year is certainly not a given with their squad. They're going to be a top eight side, maybe possibly a top four side still, but this is their best opportunity to get this comp. Yeah, I think they'll still be clearly a top four side. 
uh, and I expect him to endure for a significant period of time. But yeah, well, like your best opportunity is your, your, you know, your current opportunity. That's it. So forget about next year. Win it now. Yeah. Because as Ivan said in the press conference, like they're they're extremely hard to get to, and they're extremely hard to win. So. And for Ivan. Got to nail it down. Attempt number three. One with the Warriors last year and uh, now I think they said before he along with Brian Smith and a few other guys the most games without a premiership and he's been to a couple of grand finals so I'm sure he'll be absolutely desperate to get this win yeah but it's not about him or his coaching record it's about getting the job done so yeah the focus might be on him or his you know again the media might make it about him and his record but it'll be irrelevant once that ball gets kicked off hmm um, yeah, a bit more into the game, I guess. The second half start was perfect early on. Olam drops that ball. They shift over. Toto goes in the corner. and Melbourne couldn't break him down, like we said, even when they got periods of cycle. That Pappenhausen try to me come off. I don't think Munster meant to kick the ball like that. I think that was a bit of a half-hearted decision where they'd grab her on a chip and it just so worked out that kick out fell over and Pappenhausen got to the ball. But the back end of the game, they had their opportunities. Um just couldn't come up with anything. Any, any time they got an offload or a bit of roll, particular off Nelson, a lot of good things came off Nelson. And Hughes had an opportunity there. They got a penalty, kicked downfield, um, turned into a bit of a nothing play where the one opportunity they had in the set was Munster drifting. And I, I thought he had the outside of Kurt Catewell, but he decided to pass, not run. He didn't have his eyes up and fed it to Kenny, who got smashed. And the bomb that they put up was a nothing kick for Remus and... Penrith closed it out, and that's all she wrote. But they were immense, um, what we said. I could highlight so many players, but the other one I think who had a really underrated game was Api Corusia. He made 50 tackles in the middle. He imposed himself, particularly the second half when the fatigue got into the game. He, he got it dummy half a couple of times and made some critical runs. Um, even Crichton. I know that role probably hasn't been as glamorous as some of his touches last year in the centres, but... He cleaned up well at the back. He, he was decent in yardage. He did his job. Uh, I, I think all around ticks for almost everyone in the Penrith team. And particularly, it was good to see that the forward pack as a whole uh, perform because it's been yellow a little bit one out the last few weeks. But I think everybody really stepped up, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and look, there's still some areas where Penrith's got to improve. They they couldn't really put Melbourne away late, like, which is a concern to me. They had opportunities. They failed to execute. It didn't end up costing them. They had similar opportunities last week against Parramatta. They couldn't ice that game. They had similar opportunities in the first week of the finals against South Sydney where you know they, they got behind, felt that scoreboard pressure and also couldn't you know, score points late. So that, that, that is an issue. That's something that you know is of some concern. But their defence is epic. It's It's unbelievable but eventually you're going to get nabbed so I expect their their attack to improve significantly this week their cohesion to improve the heat you know they they know that South's are beatable you know they didn't play that great when they played them in, in week one of the finals and everyone's lauded how well the South played and how well they defended in that match so yeah Penrith are going to feel pretty good about their chances and South's are also going to feel pretty good too because they feel as though they've got Penrith's measure and you know, they've worked out the formula on how to beat them. But, um, yeah, that, that would be of some concern to me because I I just felt like Melbourne were going to come get him, we're going to come get him. And um, it was much it was much about uh, Penrith's 
poor attack. Um, you know, as it was about some some great defence from Melbourne as well. But also, you know, Melbourne just couldn't ice their chances either late in the game, and you know they came back to just some poor disappointing errors at crucial stages for Melbourne. And you know, like you said, Munster probably not having his his best game. Their attack was slightly off. And some thought Munster was probably lucky to not be penalised for when Luai fell into his arm. Like, for me, that's an accident. No, I, but thought, I thought that, yeah, but he hit him in the head. Yeah, so during... I was, it doesn't matter whether it's an accident. I know that, oh, but like, before you jumped in, I was about to say, during the year, that has been a penalty, so I was surprised he didn't get nabbed for it. Um, one other moment, there was one moment that I was very surprised, though, when Burton touched that ball in the end goal and it went forward, went back out. I, oh, they missed that one, big time. That was one that went against Melbourne. I don't understand how that wasn't spotted. Like it, again, not saying it cost the game, but it's just one of those ones I look at and go, "That was pretty fucking obvious." I thought. Yeah. Um, but overall, I, th- I thought there wasn't anything too bad in the game. Um, but yeah, I was really surprised that Munster wasn't penalised at least. Yeah, like that one during the years, pretty much been standard, even if it has been an accident. And that knock on, yeah, I just thought those two moments, one went against each team. I thought they were both pretty blatant. Yeah, agree. Um, but yeah, huge win for Penrith and for Melbourne. Uh, all that history, and we said this at the start of the year, same as Penrith last year, that means nothing now. The 19 in a row, everything they've sort of done, um, there's some good achievements there, but it's a missed opportunity. And this team is losing key members. Nico Hines moves on along with Addo Carr, Dale Finucane, and there's a few other guys that are leaving that squad. No doubt, again, they're one of these teams that are just, as we know, always going to be hanging around, always finding ways to reinvent themselves, but uh, I feel this is a real missed opportunity for the Melbourne Storm, and it would have been one of, if not close to, the most impressive premiership if they could have won back-to-back firstly, but off the back of, there's no more big three. This is a completely different side. It's reinvented, it's young, it's energetic. This whole setup, if they would have went back-to-back with this team in two years of COVID in particular, two years away from home, basically no games in Melbourne that a handful of games in that whole circumstance it would have been an epic achievement but uh, it's fish and chip paper now yeah yeah and I'm not sure whether that 19 in a row was a blessing or a curse but yeah I don't know I think they probably should have just focused on you know building that as, as much as they possibly could and because it seemed like they, they lost Gage and they never really got their full side on the on the paddock all year. So that was a little bit of a concern. And I know, you know, during the week, well, this is the first time they've had them all on the field. And I can remember saying, you know, four to six weeks ago that just because you get them on the field doesn't mean there's going to be cohesion. Like, I, I would not have rested in that last round. I would have played all my players. And look, injuries are a part of the game, I think. The only concern I had with Melbourne was the fact that they had not all played together for a long period of time. I just didn't feel great about their combinations when you look at their best 17. And I think maybe they were punished by their strength actually became their weakness because they had so many good players to cover so many good positions, so many positions that it actually weakened their cohesion in the end when they all sort of came together and you could pick your best 17 and I think that was more an impact of injury, but I think at the back end of the year they, they made an error there by resting, and that's that's my opinion. I, you know, you can go and re-listen to those episodes 
you know, I ran without resting. I was completely against it. Um, but again, they, they should have been better yesterday. The game was there to be won, and we wouldn't be talking about it. But I, I do think it would have made an impact, whether it was enough of an impact to to win yesterday. Is, you know, another story. Yeah, well, week, finals week one, the only guy missing was Fox, and they won by 40, so I was fine. Yeah, look, I also don't think that that game helped them. Because you, yeah. yeah I, I agree, I agree with you, but again, I, I also think if you're a coach and I was to tell you that you're going to drop the first ball, then lose two key forwards and ruin your whole rotation, in particular relying on that hooker situation in the first 15 minutes, I'd... I'm yeah, not. No one gives a fuck about that. I know that, but that, that's forget the one to seventeen or other things. That impacts your game. That had an impact on the game. Does. But, well, but people aren't going to remember that when they look at the scoreboard. No, but, they're going to remember that Penrith won and Melbourne lost. So, you know, I, I don't think Bellamy. You know, Bellamy said in the press that it, it made it harder, but it was absolutely no excuse because they just should have played better. See, I'm not, I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not, I'm not blaming it on that. I'm just, look, I'm just saying that, I, that, in my opinion, certainly would have helped. Like, my only concern was their lack of cohesion. And it sort of came apart a little bit yesterday, that's all. Hmm. Well, we leave that one behind, and now our grand final is set. It is 2v3. It's a replay of week one. It is the Panthers up against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And as we said... Uh, two completely different pathways. Penrith were expected, like Melbourne, to go through and potentially, you know, go one-two into the grand final and have that rematch. They had the rematch a week early, and they've done it the hard way. They've beaten South. They had the war with Parramatta, a war with the Storm, and now they get a chance to go against the Rabbitohs again. The Rabbitohs, a dream run after being written off mostly through the season, uh, that they were definitely not going to turn up defensively on that side of the ball. And then after losing Luttrell, almost nobody gave them any sort of hope, but they've certainly disproved that theory. And if they win without him, that'll be an even bigger story, I guess. But um, that preview will be later in the week, probably Wednesday night, I think, would be the go, you reckon? Yeah, maybe Thursday, because we've got the actual day, like it's not until Sunday night. But, yeah, we'll see how we go. Well, Wednesday or Thursday, we'll come up with something later in the week. But for now, let's review uh, the season of the two teams that was eliminated in the weekend in Manly and the Storm. Let's start with Manly fourth in the regular season and finished fourth uh, after being eliminated first on Friday night. A record of 16-8 and eight. in attack. They were third defensively. They were sixth. They used 29 players, so a bit better uh, than most that were 30-plus. And You wouldn't have picked it really like you said. Uh, they started 0-4 in that first four games. They played the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, and Penrith. They got absolutely towed up. They were on track for one of the worst record seasons defensively. Um, and things turn in round five. A field goal win against the Warriors, and then the Mudgy Massacre happened when we were up there. The day where they ran right, Tom found his confidence. Olakowatu is in starting for the first or second time. Schuster on the other edge. Harper and Saab, like a lot of their problems had sort of been eked, and they rolled from there. But they did have some hiccups along the way, which were sort of warning signs. After that little streak, they play Penrith, and they fall flat in round eight. They win three in a row again, towering up some teams and then fall flat again against Newcastle, which a lot of people put down to origin, but it's a game they shouldn't have lost, really. Um, they had a Canberra loss there during origin. They go on another bloodbath run, bash a bunch of teams. They play Melbourne around 21, lose that game. 
streak through the back end of the season and everyone's wondering what is this team and how are they going to go and unfortunately we got the sample uh, in those two games that we talked about Melbourne week one they just can't find a way to get themselves in the game that immaturity that edge defence the errors and the discipline they get blown away by 40 they destroy the Roosters again a team devoid of strength and then the weekend another key game where they need to be disciplined and mature solid with the football, get into a bit of a cycle, and unfortunately, um, it, it just didn't happen again. And similar to like that Melbourne game we talked about, the early signs, like Kepi gets the head knock after dropping the ball. The way that first try got scored, the way that the tries didn't unfold, like it just went from bad to worse, and they just didn't have the resilience to turn it around. No, through lack of experience. I mean, they, they are what they are. They were flamboyant and excellent and youthful and... and um, talented enough to, you know, beat the majority of the sides in the competition. But when it comes to the elite, they're not quite there yet. And that, that's exactly where Manly are at. They need a pre-season. They need to tidy up, like you said, sort of the back end of their squad. They need to look at how they're going to get better balance in their squad, which are probably the two things we've spoken about from, you know, a cap perspective. But just from a coaching perspective, they just they need to be better in their fundamentals, particularly with their defence. I thought their catch pass was excellent. Their offensive stuff is, is brilliant, but their, their fundamentals defensively and their edge movements just need a lot of work and a lot of work on decision-making. Um, and then from there, you know, work, work out ways to make yourself not so reliant on Trebojevic. But also I don't think it's, it's a bad thing to be reliant on a brilliant player. You know, Andrew uh, Newcastle were relying on Andrew Johns when he was brilliant, and you know the big three in Melbourne, they, they were you know heavily relying on them and fit the, the Roosters. And you know, when you got a brilliant player, it's it, I think it's okay to be reliant on them, but you can't be completely reliant on them, particularly when you run into those bigger games. You can't just be throw the ball to Tom and hope that he does something for you. So you sort of got to build a game in around it to use those excellent players to bring out the strengths in other, other players in your team as well. Yeah, you need outlets to utilise their talent. Yeah. It can't just be, you need to do this. Like They need to do, whether it be their forward pack or like we saw the, the shifts in yardage to change the point of attack and get him on the front foot or be better play one-two so he can get on the front foot, which they struggle with. There's a few areas there that they can definitely work on to help out Tom. Um, I think... Similar to what I said before, the real question is they've got nobody coming in so far. The only player so far confirmed leaving is Curtis Sirenen, who they realistically didn't use at the back end, and it would have been a salary cap call, which is another problem. Where's he going? He's going to St. Helens, I'm pretty sure. Andrew Davey will be like a new signing because he literally played one game in Torrey's ACL, but they bought him at the time, bargain barrel basement signing uh, for the back row, and now they've got two-gun back row, so... He's almost irrelevant. Off contract, George Tafua did not play all year. Dylan Walker, that one's pretty much looking like it's going to be a done deal. So he'll be on that bench roll again, which is good. Deloise played a handful of games. I'm sure he won't cost them much, and they're going to need that sort of player. Zach Sadler, I think he only got a couple of games. Kazuski fell out of favour, sort of. Tevita Funner, I think, is going to the Waratahs. Farno's brother, Sione, has been a gun through the junior systems, but junior football obviously stopped, so... In terms of his progression, I think he went to play cup and started a few games, but that's about it. And Morgan Boyle was injured, so there's not a lot there that I look at and go, that's going to make a huge difference 
in the squad or make an impact. And then total right now, um, with the re-signings they've made, which obviously key guys, your Schusters, Olaquadus, Kepi, Garrick, like a lot of guys that showed good signs. I'm more looking at the back end of the squad, like you're saying. They've only got 24, 25 on the books, and most of them in positions right now they're probably not going to need. So that they signed young Christian Tui Pelotu from the Roosters until 2024 this season. He mostly played cup, and now they've got Saab, Garrick, Parker, Suli, um, and Harper. He, he's not really getting a look in. Young Cooler from Flag, uh, SG Ball went all the way up to Flag and Cup. Uh, they had another young guy, K.O. Weeks, similar deal. SG Ball goes up, made it into the system above, was playing half fullback. So there's a lot, lot of guys in positions they're not going to use. Cust, we saw, was thought about for the nine role, and Croker was there. And that's another one. Croker did a good job, but realistically, long term, is that still the answer? Like, And how long can they wait for Farnu? Farnu's court case is not till mid year. Well, they don't have a choice there. So, um. Yeah, there's, there's a few things to be worked through there at the back end of the squad, as we said. So, mm. There's plenty of time between now and you know February. Yep. Clubs are going to be looking to shed and swap, and you know it always happens over summer. So but I think the key uh, thing, the, the, the biggest thing is that that, that is Jake all side. You know they've got some really really talented talented players in that. So yeah, there's some cavalry coming as well, man. The fans don't worry about that. Yeah, and there's some guys pushing through. Alec Tuitavaki is one they've had a wrap on. He's come through. He's only 20. Um, he's a prop, and that's the sort of position they're probably needing because, like we said, they let Fenua Blake go to cap problems and got Ally in for less. They found Kepi and a few other guys that do a job for him, but 1-17 to 17 right now, they'll roll out almost on an identical side probably, but if they've got these issues around tap-out, that's a big issue. Like To me right now, they're probably... A one more good reliable middle short if you're losing tap out I don't know what you're going to get in to replace him yeah that's right and same deal again that 17 can definitely take a step forward but you also need to reach for something and they had their injury troubles at the start of the year and we saw that like with a guy like Tommy and there's a few good guys coming through for that position in particular but again uh, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot in behind for now so I think for them progression in particular with those back rows a um, bit more work defensively in particular, as a whole and on their edges, they'll be right up there again. If especially if Turbo's healthy and their spine stays on the field, but yeah, there, there's some things to work out cap-wise and some decisions to be made. That's for sure. Yeah. So moving on from them, the Melbourne Storm first the minor premier during the season twenty-one and three was their record. Number one in an attack, they were second in defence, ended up finishing third, and they used thirty-two players and. Um, Wow, what a year. Um, certainly evolved again. Never a, a coach or a team that stays stagnant, even if it's very, very slight and, and a hard start. They have the year, Harry Grant, Dale, Tui, a couple of these guys not there. Uh, they win ugly first up, and they have two close losses by two points. That both could have been wins against the Panthers and Eels, but then the streak begins, and as we saw all year, they, they were in every single game. They, they got the 19 in a row, despite, again, Pappenhausen missing nine to ten games. Grant missed two long periods there. Nelson missed games. Tui missed two big patches. They had to call constantly on different people to come in and out. Nico Hines did a great job. They had a few different people through the forward pack and the bench rolls debut and do jobs this year. Um, You know, huge growth in a guy like Remus Smith and George Jennings doing his part and Chris Lewis and like we said about 
Hines and um, Eisenhuth, like contributions that led to getting to the point where they won that 19. But late in the year, we had a little bit of worry that, you know, are they just bored? Are they fatigued? Are they, you know, we, we didn't quite know, but the Titans-Cowboys games were wobbly. They obviously had the loss to Parramatta. They rested and primed themselves for week one and smoked Manly, probably putting away most uh, of the worry, but we just saw on the weekend, unfortunately, I, I don't think they could have had a worse day. Uh, I honestly think it's the worst game they played all year. And to complete that way and the injuries that happened early, uh, it, it all fell apart right in front of them. And it, it was there for the taking. There's no doubt about it, but uh, it's all fish and chip paper now. And unfortunately, I think it's a real missed opportunity out of what was an outstanding season. Because as we know, Dale, Nico, Adokar, Penne, who contributed some good games, they're all no longer going to be, going to be part of this squad. And, and it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a real missed opportunity. Yeah, I, it's a missed opportunity, but it's one of the greatest regular seasons you'll ever see in your life. They were outstanding in the regular season, but you know when that new competition started, they fell over. And it, it was it was also Penrith that punished them. My like Penrith slipping up first week, you know, really really hurt them. So in in essence, they should have had um, you know uh, not the not the second ranked side coming around. They should have had you know the third or fourth side coming around. And, you know, we all thought that it would be Penrith-Melbourne grand final. So Melbourne have sort of become the victims in that in that Penrith slip-up. So, um, but, you know, in the end, they, like we said last week about Penrith and, and facing Melbourne at this point in time, like, you're going to have to face them eventually. Um, so I, I do think it's a, it's a shame that they... Um, are out before the grand final, but that, that's just the way that this system works. And Penrith were good enough to go the long way around and roll them on the back of a week off and, you know, the minor premiership. So all power to them. And Melbourne will be extremely disappointed, I would imagine, for the next two or three days. Uh, but then when you look back on, on what they've achieved, that record is unbelievable. I don't think that, you know, it'll certainly be equaled and, and maybe beaten, but. That's sort of a once-in-a-decade type record. Like, size don't go on runs like that very often. I know Penrith did last year and Melbourne did this year, but they're just probably just highlights how, you know, really good those two teams are at the moment, those two organisations. So um, I think previous to that, it might have been the, the Bulldogs, what, you know, 02 or 03, went on that huge streak. The year I think they got done I think again uh, the thing for me that made the streak impressive is more the games like the one against it's, yeah, it's the one against Canberra and games like that where they literally rolled out Chris Lewis in six and Cooper Johns and missing so many players through injury in origin and not only did they win they won by 20 points um, yeah but we like we really need to balance that as well and say that like they're there were a lot of games this year where they were ugly wins. Yeah. Not, not all of them were just brilliant 40-point wins. There were some really ugly wins in there. So, their the season hasn't been perfect. Um, no, but... And they, they've showed that they're beatable. Like, uh, I, don't, I didn't find it shocking that Melbourne got beat yesterday. 
particularly with Penrith, you know, I think we've been widely highlighted that, you know, they've, they've been the best two teams all year. So it doesn't mean you're the best two teams at the end of the year. No, we're not saying that at all, but I think more impressive is a lot, a lot of those... I'm just I'm trying to highlight how good their season's been. Yeah, it has. And the result yesterday shouldn't define their season. It will in the short term, in the fact that, you know, the minor premiers aren't going to be playing in the grand final, but as I said, look at look at the body of their regular season. Oh, it's outstanding, but at the end of the day, your currency is premiership, so I'm sure for them it's, it's you know, like I said, it's, it's going to be something they a few of them might remember, but no one's going to remember much about this team because they didn't go on to win the title, unfortunately. Well, I think you will because you, they, they went on to... Um, that record that record's going to stand for years and years and years. So you will remember this team, not for winning the comp. You're going to remember them for, for that record. Well, certainly we'll uh, appreciate a bit of a change in the garden, it's probably more high octane than we've associated with Melbourne in a long time. Uh, the dual hook situation with Harry and Brandon Smith, and in particular, I think this year for Brandon, a real big season, a real step up to the mark, because the whole talk was Harry's back and Brandon will move out of the way and Harry's team and, you know, talk about his situation and moving forward. And I, I think he really took that on his stride. He's been outstanding all year. He still kept up that front, and I, I think he was the better of the two uh, consistently. Um, and he was a huge loss yesterday, but overall, he had a huge year. Jerome Hughes um, kept going on in leaps and bounds in terms of his halfback play. I think now he's certainly top three. If, if Cleary is, is the top one right there, I, if you, you're asking me who's the next man up, I, I think Jerome Hughes is very close if he's not number two, number three as far as halfbacks in the competition. Uh, Pap started on fire. Yeah, he's, he's so underrated. Massively underrated. Pap, Pap started like an absolute rocket, and that knock and a couple of injuries pushed him off his pedestal. And Nico, to his credit, come in full credit to him and was absolutely flying and turned that into a, a great contract for himself and a, and a situation um, to move on to Cronulla next year. But people like Olam again, a step forward. He, he wasn't great on the weekend, and, and Remus, I know they're talking about centers in the game. He, his year and body of work he put together in his first season at Melbourne. Very impressive. Um, that's just a couple of highlights. Like I said, there's a lot of guys there, obviously, stepped up and, and, and got some game time. And I wish Nelson would play every week like he did at the back end there. But, yeah, I think if you're Melbourne, your situation now, next year, losing those key guys is, again, sort of filling in the gaps and in terms of what they're bringing in. You've got Xavier Coates coming from Brisbane, who's definitely going to take a bit of rebuilding and some polishing. We know he's a raw talent, but um, it's been yeah, a rough... he's a great signing to replace that car. Mm. Well, my only thing I'm trying to work out, he's mostly been a, a right-sided player. So if that's the case, they've had the George and Remus combination. Uh, I'm sure they're going to give Coates probably that spot. So it'll be Remus and him. The left side, Olam loses his partner, which is the Fox, but that's an open contest now probably between Nick Meany Dean Aramaya, the young fella, Lumi Lumi had a couple of games, and George, if he flips sides of the field. Uh, Nick Manny, like we said, opportunity there, possibly that 14 role they've spoke of. Like He's a player, Nick Manny. Yeah, He's like. A and he'll go well in Melbourne. Mm, they've talked about him as the 14. We've seen Hines this year. That flexibility to play halves, fullback, centre wing, 
Um, and they brought Josh King in, which is one of these ones that most people look at, including myself, and you go, well, that's a bit random, but these dollar-dazzler-type players just seem to flourish in Melbourne, so no doubt he'll be another guy that probably plays, uh, you know, a bit role in and out of that squad. Um, they've upgraded a young kid, Suofar Logo, who's a very good young fullback for their flex system. He's got a three- or four-year deal, so I'll be interested to see if he finds uh, some game time. But for the most part, they've tied up their squad. Uh, they've already got, I think, 28 or 29 signed. Um, a couple of development players, mind you. But the only ones off contract for now are Riley Jacks, Max King, Darren Shonig, and Jota Torohai, who was playing Jersey Flea. He's not debuted yet. Shonig uh, is off a, a knee injury, I think. Max King had an Achilles injury. And Jack's only got a handful of games. But with Cooper Johns re-signing, the halves we've already got. They've got Jonah Pezzi, who they signed from Newcastle, who came through. Uh, I don't know quite what their, what their plan is, but um, for the most part, yeah, they're pretty sorted with what they've brought in, what they've lost, and who they've upgraded. And There's still a, a couple of kids there. Like, we saw a little bit of Trent Lorio. Haven't seen Jack Howarth yet, but there's a few guys there waiting in the wings and... Uh, one to seventeen, like we just talked about, it'll be pretty similar, I guess. But um, yeah, new winger, potentially a new fourteen, and then what they do about Dale, I, it would be mostly assumed that Cheese would take that role. But they were so effective this year, playing as a one-two punch with Harry coming on and him pushing there. So they might give an opportunity to say Chris Lewis or an Eisenhuth or start one of the bigger guys for a short stint and roll them off like a Nelson or a Tui, but. Um, yeah, there'll be, there are a few slight changes, but there are some big losses, no doubt. Yeah. So, there you go. Melbourne summed up for another year, and now we're left for the grand final we spoke about. And great week. Luckily, uh, none of those judiciary stories come to fruition. Yeah, well, good. The focus should be on the game, not the fucking judiciary. And, uh, um, who do you think will win the Daily M? I think Turbo will probably get it tomorrow night, but... If not, Cleary. Cleary is my pick before the year, but I think that shoulder injury hurt him. No, I think it, he can't win it. I think the way the I looked at the games, the way it finished, I think Tom gets three in yeah. at least three or four of those games. I looked at Nathan. I thought Nathan actually probably picked up votes the few games he did play. But yeah, I think uh, it'll be closer than what we all probably expected it to be. I think Turbo might win by probably two points. Yeah. So, I, even, I even had a world there where I thought they might tie could be joint winners like we saw a few years ago Tamalolo and Hayne but well yeah as long as one of those if one of those two wins it I'll be I'll be happy well last year everyone thought but it was I'll be very happy to see Cody Walker win I think he's had an absolutely outstanding year as well yeah I, I think I looked through the games again when it was on the other night I don't think he's got enough points there to yeah. find a way yeah, through no, I'm just saying I think he's he obviously lost three as well so mm. he was uh, he was but he's been outstanding. He's had a fantastic season. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the way they did it, to be honest, this year without no, me complaining. Yeah. When, when they showed the scoreboard and then basically ruled out three or four guys that were ahead, I know a couple of them are obvious, like Ben Hunt got injured. And, you know, Hughes, they're basically saying that Hughes doesn't poll at all from that point on. But if yeah, you and, and I've said this on the show probably every year we've spoken about Italians. I can't wait for the day where they go to the AFL model. Like, I sat there and watched the Brownlow on Monday night or Sunday night last week or whatever it was. I think it was Monday night. I was just outstanding. I I loved it. I loved watching them go through every round and show the highlights. And you don't have to actually be an AFL fan, and I'm not. 
but you don't have to be an AFL fan to watch that ceremony and you know get engaged with how close it was and all voting's behind closed doors they go from round one all the way through and show some highlights and they read through the point winners for every round but I I think we rush over it and it um, diminishes the importance and the uh, the stature of the award in our game, in my opinion. Hmm. I still don't like the team of the year set up either. They had the the blunder last week where they leaked about the centre of the year and Justin Olam wasn't nominated. And all, most of the players in the competition were like, that's a joke. And then they yeah. come out and said, oh, it's an administrative error. He has been nominated. Yeah, like, or either, just fuck the, fuck the voting off. Forget the votes. Just pick a team of the year. And, no, and yeah, and just pick your daily end player like that, like they do with the MVP and the, well, that's you know, the, the American sports. Like we've done. No, no, they don't do voting from round to round. They just sort of go, who's better? And they compare stats and records and all that sort of stuff, and then they pick their most favourable player on that basis. Mm, but full stop, they should sit down and do a panel maybe for all the people that do vote at the end of the year for the actual team of the year. Like, I get it that they go off the votes, but like... When you actually look at the full body of work for the season, it doesn't always pan out that way. 100%. I agree. I looked at that the other day and thought the fact he didn't even get a nomination, like Harry, Cheese, Hughes, Pappenhausen, Early, Nico on that run, like all those spine players, of course they're going to get... Yeah, like, well, he didn't get a lot of votes because he's got so many good players in his team that are taking points off him. Exactly, but in his position, he's probably, yeah. again, top three in the competition and he played that way this year. Yep. So the fact he doesn't get nominated, like if you come out and I don't know who the other nominations ended up being, but like you know, I think Manu was outstanding. He didn't play all his games at centre, but there's not many others I'd sit there and say he had a better Burton, year. I would think Burton would be in the conversation. Well, he's the other one, but I, I can't think of many others that would have been better at centre this year than Justin Ola. Yeah. If you're saying you're nominating four, if he's not in the four, I don't know what game they're watching. Yeah, I understand. I agree. So that system, as we said before, still uh, I think needs to be fixed up a little bit but um, yeah I'm with you I think Turbo wins it Cleary unfortunately second year in a row is going to miss out um, and yeah third Cody or, or Teddy might be there I, I don't don't know if DC would have got as many votes at the back end but mind you a lot of those games where Turbo dominates he seems to have picked up one or two so he's yeah. collected on the way but yeah I think it's it's a two horse race and I think Nathan sadly that shoulder is going to cost him the medal uh, I think the most important thing for me this week I just I'm a neutral which is awesome and I enjoyed all the neutral grand finals that we've gone to unfortunately I'm not going but to watch um, still as a neutral I just want the best two teams on the park so Reynolds I'm sure is the the most likely of anyone with all the injuries but on the Penrith side I'm really hoping that none of these guys have a severe problem I hope the Penguai knee is not as bad I hope Fish is good to go and any of those other guys, like your top O's, your Clearies, that they just get the best possible recovery, rehab, and we don't see someone leave the game early or have a story like that during the game. Yeah. I just want the best game we could possibly have. Yep, I would agree. And, uh, um, I've done my catch-up today on the Super League over the weekend. Um, my Rhinos had a win. They were knocked out Wigan, and Steve Cross is Warrington gone. So they, they do a top six over there. Um, three plays six and four plays five and they're eliminators first week. And uh, three and four, gone. Five and six won, but won the game. So the Rhinos and whole KR. Well, are, the, are the Saints favourite again? 
No, no, I think Catalan's won the won the Premier's Plate or the Shield or whatever they call it. Ah, oh, Jimmy Maloney. The League Leader Shield. Um, so yeah, I think I think it'll be a Catalan's, particularly now that um, we've got four left and it's five and six. I think Catalan and St Helens are certainly in the box seat, mm. uh, and that'll be a, that'll be an excellent grand final. So that's that's what I'm pulling for. I'd love to see that grand final. Speaking of grand they final, a few weeks ago, like if you haven't seen it, they played in Magic Ground over in England, and I think Catalans were behind by maybe sixteen with like less than ten minutes to go, and they came back and won that game. So and rolled St Helens. So yeah, yeah. Saw video footage of that. It was a crazy finish. Yeah. Um, do yourself a favour and look that up. But you're speaking of the grand final in these games. Big thanks to bluebet.com.au. If you're going to have a bet with anyone, do it with the true blue bookie, bluebet.com.au. Download the app today or visit the website. We did get a winner on the weekend, didn't we? We did, son. Yep. So I think about 120 or 125 in the kitty, which takes 125 us... 125 into the kitty. Just over 800, I think, we're on now. We're about 697 before, so it'd be about 820 or so. Yep, um, if we get a couple of winners this weekend with our two bets, we'll hopefully hit that 1,000 mark. And the market for the grand final here with bluebet.com.au, the Panthers installed as favourites. They're $1.67 currently. South's $2.20 outside as the line at the moment is 2.5 uh, in favour of uh, the Panthers, they're giving away two and a half, one to twelve for Penrith, two eighty five, three forty for South, thirteen plus market, three fifty for the Panthers, uh, five fifty for South. First try scorer, one we always like for grand finals. Like I usually would say back rowers, but the way these two teams play, I I don't think that way to be honest. Yeah, I just I'd happily just back Johnson and Tower. Yeah. Well, if you're going to go that way, they're both very close. Toto's eight dollars, Johnston eight fifty. I sort of lean the way of possibly a halves try first, so uh, I'd give Cody Walker consideration at fifteen dollars um, for a bit of sneaky value. You know what? I also forgot to bring up in the thing there before. I don't know if you agree or not. Wayne Bennett flipped his uh, back rowers in the game. Do you think that would be? to maximise his attack and tighten up his defence. Like, Kalama tongue has been on the right the whole yeah, year. He flipped him. Like, I don't understand why teams don't do that more. Mm, but for the whole game. They play side of field. Fuck, they should play on whatever side's best for the team for that particular week. Yeah, well, he put Kalama Tungi where most of the attack goes, and it seemed like Sewer might have got flipped to the right to help out Reynolds a bit more defensively uh, with yeah. that, that groin. But I looked at it during the game and thought it just makes more sense regardless because... Kalama Tungi is so much more dynamic in attack and he is a great defender. Cody, Gagai, like all their strike is on that side of the field. And Sewer, not saying he doesn't run a good line, but certainly Reynolds doesn't give as much attacking shape or utilise his back row anywhere near as much as what Cody does. So it only makes sense to try and put that better attacking player on that edge. And um, He's probably the one if you're going to say you want to have a sneaky bet on a, a back row. Kalama Tungi is $34 um, and that's the side of the field they like to get to. Melbourne tried to get after Morovsky. They got inside him two or three times, and that was one of the try savers that they come up with. So that sort of space there and, and Nathan's shoulder, I'm sure they'll test that out. But uh, of all the back rowers, that's probably the one I'd be looking at. Um, have we got the Clive Churchill market? I'm pretty sure I saw it earlier. That was fairly hefty. 
in favour of Nathan Cleary. I think Nathan Cleary was like three dollars fifty or something. Yeah, well, yeah, he'd be the one backing. Yeah, well, I think uh, like I said, he was pretty hefty. He's three fifty. Cody Walker next best eight dollars. Jerome and Arpy, Damian Cook, all eleven. Yo at fourteen, maybe a little bit of value. Uh, if he has a big game, Murray at fifteen. I think those two are sort of outside guys. I could see if it turns into a bit more of a grinding game, having an impact like Reynolds, fourteen dollars. Yeah, I, I don't really see that. There's not many beyond that. I, I really look at here and and think, yeah, unless somebody like a Taff again, a key position player. Has a blinder. Yeah, Jerome, what price is Jerome? Jerome's 11. Jeez, that's, that's too short for Jerome. Oh, I think out of all the spine players here... What about Abby? Abby and Edwards? 11 as well. Edwards is 26. Well, Edwards has been a match on the weekend, so... Well, I think Taff, the way he played on the weekend, and again, not saying what happened, if you're telling me that a key position plays $34 with the skill set he's got... Uh, I'm not saying it happens, but if you want to talk about value, that, that's pretty hefty yeah, for. No, I'm, not, I'm not backing him. For a fullback, that's hefty. Yeah. No. But out of all those top ones, it's pretty obvious that those two are the key players. But y- your value for me is Yo and Murray at fourteen and fifteen dollars. Yeah. I could see one of those guys in a particular sort of game being the best player. I thought Murray again close to the best player, uh, and Yo very good again on the weekend as well. But yeah. Bar those key players, they're definitely two guys. I think that are yeah, we'll do that crazy later. Giving you a bit of value. Some more time to think about it. But uh, those odds brought to you by Bluebet.com.au. If you're going to have a bet with anyone, do it with Bluebet, and uh, we'll post up and get your Penrith Solar Centre powerful moment of the week from the preliminary finals and what everyone liked. And for now, always remember that if you want to tackle your rising power bills, you're going to have to do it with the help of Solar Energy, and they are the team to do it, Penrith Solar Centre. Get on board with them. They're passionate about helping you simbin your rising power bills for good. Get on the website today, www.penrithsolar.com.au, or give them a call, 1800 and daylight savings starts again this weekend, so there is no better time to get that system in and start reaping the benefits of solar energy. It's... Uh, Boxhead, that wraps us up. We'll be back later in the week. Like we said, we'll, we'll figure it out and post up whether it be Wednesday yep. or Thursday, and we'll have an in-depth look at the 2021 NRL Grand Final. We will. Three shows to go. Oh, yes. It's uh, sad when it hits this time of year, unfortunately, when the footy ends, but I guess uh, on the flip side of that and the positive, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we'll have a little bit more freedoms to help uh, without the madness of lockdown, which football has been a massive help during. Yeah, 100%. But uh, for everybody out there, we'll be back later in the week. For now, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.